Jamie, appreciate that, brother. Grace Hill, how you doing this morning? Good, good, good. My name is Eric. It is a pleasure to be here worshiping with the people of God this morning. If you are glad that we serve a risen Savior, can you give God a hand clap of praise this morning? He is good to us. As that song said, we serve a living hope. I hope it's alive. Uh, if you have a copy of the Bible this morning, I want you guys to go ahead and turn uh, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Uh, and as you guys turn there, I want to take a moment to introduce myself and even introduce my family because I know for some of you guys, you don't know me uh, from Adam. And so I want you guys to go to uh, put up this photo. My name is Eric, of course, and this is my family, right? And so the woman right there, that is my wife, Janique. Uh, she is absolutely amazing. And I have two kids. Uh, they, I have one that is three, the one that I'm holding, uh, that is Eli. And uh, the other one that my wife is holding, his name is Roman. He is 16 uh, months. I have uh, two boys. And so uh, pray for me. They are uh, driving me uh, crazy, uh, but they are great. Um, Alan, a couple of weeks ago, he asked me to come here and preach, and I felt like I could not turn him down uh, because I said, uh, because I owe you a big one, uh, because uh, I know that Joe and Misty are now at uh, NBC Arlington. Uh, Joe and Misty, they have been such a huge blessing to our church, and we know that they have been a huge blessing to our church because we know that they've been loved and cared for here. And so, uh, Grace Hill, every time I think about you, as the Apostle Paul says, I praise God uh, for you when I remember you, and I am happy uh, to be here uh, this morning. Uh, a couple of years ago, NBC Arlington, we used to meet on uh, Monday night. And there was one night when our worship actually almost stopped before it began. Uh, it was in the beginning of service. I remember like it was yesterday. I was standing on stage. I was given a short call to worship uh, like the worship leaders were doing this morning. And I was doing that. And in the middle of it all, the fire alarm went off. It was a little awkward, but I, I was so in the zone uh, that I didn't even acknowledge it. I was powering through the fire alarm. I'm focused. I'm going in. And what made me stop was when I looked at my wife. I looked at her. Matter of fact, I didn't even see her face. I saw the back of her head as she was leaving uh, the auditorium, right? She was trying to tell me, listen, you better go ahead and wrap this up and send everyone outside. So uh, at that moment, I told everyone to hit the exits. And uh, when I told everyone to do that, after that, people did a number of things. Some people didn't know what to do, so they hopped in their cars and left. Uh, some people stuck around. They kind of milled around outside. They weren't quite sure what to do until our worship leader stepped up and he broke out his guitar. He started to sing and everyone joined in. Uh, the reason I thought that this was so encouraging is that that fire alarm didn't stop our worship. And I say that today because I think for some of you, there is a fire alarm that is stopping your worship. And that fire alarm is called doubt. It's called doubt. It's blaring, it's loud in your mind, and these doubts are stopping you from worshiping Jesus. You see, whether uh, these doubts are intellectual doubts or whether these doubts have sprung up from a difficult season in your life, hard things are happening to you and you're wondering if the things about Christianity are true or if God is real, listen to me today. Many of you guys, you're saying that there's no way that you can worship Jesus while doubts are blaring in your mind. You see, this morning, our passage is going to help you see how you can overcome doubt. 
Now, you see, this morning, our passage is going to help you see that the fire alarm of doubt does not have to stop your worship. And so with that said, I want to go ahead and read from um, John 20, verses 24 through 29. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. It says this. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, we see here that Thomas was confronted with the news that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, and instead of celebrating that news like he should have, he doubted. You see, doubt rushed in and stopped what should have been the occasion uh, for worship. And so today, I want you to find encouragement in how Jesus dealt with Thomas. You see, I hope you understand that when you doubt, this is where we're going today, this is kind of the summary statement, When you doubt, Jesus has given you everything that you need in order to believe in him. When you doubt, Jesus has given you all that you need in order to believe in him. That's where we're going. I'm going to pray right now to the Lord Jesus Christ to help us get there. All right, let's pray together. Father, we love you. We love your word. We know that your word is true. We know that your word is powerful. We know that your word can change us on the spot. So, Father, I pray that we will be people who do not, I pray this every week, God, that we will not be a people who sit above your word like critics, but we'll sit beneath your word as servants, that we will say today that whatever you say to me today, I will do it. I will respond to your words and in ways that are suitable. I will respond to your words in worship and faith and obedience. Teach us to trust you, even when there's doubt. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. Amen. So let me start off like this. At the very top of this, we see how Thomas wasn't with the disciples. And he says, where is that? In verse 25, he says, unless I see his hands, unless I see all the scars, unless I see all of this, he utters this phrase. He says, I will never believe. And I want to ask you this question. How did Thomas get here? How did Thomas actually get to the point where he could say the phrase, I will never believe? Think about this. He had 10 other people who are coming to him saying that they saw Jesus. And these aren't just strangers on the street. You see, these are people that Thomas knew well. He knew that they weren't crazy. They were his friends. He spent the last three years with them. Why didn't Thomas at least entertain the thought that they might be telling the truth. I don't know if you've ever wondered that. But I think when you peer at the text, it's not hard to see. First of all, there's this fact. Dead people don't rise from the dead. 
Dead people don't rot. You see, to hear a friend of yours, um, to hear a friend of yours come to you and say, hey, listen, say someone came to me, hey, Eric, you know that your friend that passed away last year, I saw them at Whole Foods today. Like to hear a friend say that, like you would, it would be just as shocking then as it was now. You see, the Jews believed, and we tend to think that this is weird, or we tend to think that the Jews had a greater propensity to believe in the resurrection, but this is what the Jews believed. They believed at the very end of history that there would be a resurrection for everyone who was righteous, and at that moment, God would renew the entire world and remove suffering and death. You see, no one believed that there would be one person in the middle of history that would rise again and die while suffering and pain still existed here. And Thomas believed that too. Like it was just as implausible for him to believe in a, to, for him to believe in a resurrection as it would be, be for us. You see, one New Testament scholar actually put it this way. He said this. He said, the early Christians did not invent the empty tomb and the meetings or sightings of the risen Christ. He says, no one was expecting this kind of thing. No kind of conversion experience would have invented it. No matter how guilty or how forgiven they felt, no matter how many hours they poured over the scriptures. You see, the point of all this being this, we tend to think that we're so sophisticated now and that they were so primitive back then that, that they would be more likely to believe in a resurrection than we would. And that's simply not true. You see, when Thomas heard that Jesus was risen, he doubted just as if we would have. Hearing about Jesus being resurrected would have blown his mind just as much as ours. Here's the thing. I don't think that's the only reason why Thomas says, I, I, I will never believe. It's not just because his mind was blown by a resurrection. I think there were personal reasons here too. You see here, Thomas was disappointed. He was disappointed. You see, Thomas had different thoughts about who Jesus was and what he was going to do. Here's the thing. When Jesus came on the scene, they thought that Jesus would come through, that he would overthrow the Roman Empire, that Jesus would come and immediately set himself up as king. But because of that, there was no room in their minds for his death and subsequently his resurrection. You see, see, in their minds, if Jesus was dead, the movement was over. It's all done. See, Thomas had left everything to follow Jesus. And at Jesus' death, I'm sure that Thomas felt embarrassed that he followed a savior that ended up dead. You see, he was disappointed. L listen to me today. Thomas couldn't believe on one hand, intellectually, he couldn't handle it. Resurrections don't happen. On the other hand, he was disappointed. His heart couldn't handle it. And so he says, listen, I'm done with this. Unless I see the scars on Jesus' body, I won't do it. I'm not gonna open myself up to that anymore. I will never believe. And I want to bring it down here to your neighborhood here at Grace Hill this morning. I will tell you today that I don't think that we are much different than Thomas. I don't think we are. You see, for you, for, for you, many of you today, you struggle with the idea of a person dying and rising again. How can this be true? See, our, our minds don't have the category to even fathom like, that, that something like this might happen. And so we completely close ourselves off to the possibility that this could happen without examining the evidence. You see, today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, my prayer today is that you will be open to the fact that this is true because it is. And for some of you, your doubts have rushed in because you're disappointed with life. 
Things have not happened the way that you have expected them to happen. You've seen so much hurt. You've seen so much pain. And you're thinking, man, how can there be a risen Savior if I'm going through all this pain and suffering right now? And like Thomas, when our minds can't understand or when our hearts get broken, what happens is that we say this can't be true. But when Thomas got to this point, let's see what Jesus did for him. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 says this. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Pause. I don't know about you, but if I'm in a room and the door is locked and somebody appears and says, peace be with you, the last thing I'm going to feel is peace. I, I'm just telling you right now. Let's continue. And then he said to Thomas, Jesus, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you not believed because you, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, guys, at this moment, Thomas was fully confronted with the truth of the risen Christ. He understood in this moment that the Jesus he had followed was not just a man, that Jesus was God. And in this moment, here's a beautiful thing. Jesus reveals his omniscience, meaning that he knows all, even the words that Thomas uttered eight days ago. Jesus also reveals his omnipotence, meaning that he is so powerful that death could not hold him. And immediately, when Thomas understands this, Thomas believes. You see, right after Thomas saw Jesus, it says in verse 28, my Lord and my God, he went from doubting Jesus to giving one of the most clear and dramatic professions of faith in the entire New Testament. But here's the thing I want you to notice, and here's where we're going to camp out until we're done with this sermon. Think about this. Jesus did not answer all of Thomas's questions. Think about it. He didn't answer all the questions that Thomas likely had. Jesus didn't explain how he rose from the dead. Jesus didn't do, he didn't explain why he didn't do all the things that Thomas thought he should. You know what he did in that moment? Jesus revealed himself and that was enough. And when Jesus revealed himself, Thomas suspended his doubts and he believed. You see, Jesus revealing himself was enough. At that moment, Thomas stopped demanding an explanation from Christ and he accepted the revelation of Christ. And right now, you may be thinking, you may be looking at me and you may be thinking, all right, Eric, cool, whatever. Okay, that, that's true, but wait a minute. If Jesus appeared to me, he told me that he was real and he showed me his scars. It would be easy for me to believe too. How can Jesus hook Thomas up with appearance and I get nothing? Well, well, let me explain that. You see, Jesus here was appointing Thomas to be an apostle. And one of the requirements of being an apostle was that they had to experience and see the risen Christ personally. And so we are to believe through the testimony of these disciples. You see, the evidence that they give us is to be enough for all who, all who have ears to hear and a hot posture to believe. Hear me today. When people don't believe, it's not because the evidence isn't strong. 
It's not because of the evidence of the resurrection is it strong enough alone. It isn't just an intellectual barrier alone. There's always other reasons that accompany this. And so because of this, many people rule out the possibility for the resurrection without examining the evidence. I've actually heard it put this way by another pastor. He said this. He said, the mind will never accept what the heart has already rejected. The mind will never accept what the heart has already rejected. You see, Thomas went from unbelief to belief because Christ had revealed himself to him. And listen, he's revealed himself sufficiently to you. I want to tell you guys today, remember the, the, the main point of the sermon, the, the place that we were going is this, is that Jesus has given you all that you need to believe in him. I want you to know that tonight. So you may be wondering here today, what exactly has Christ given me that has made it sufficient for me to believe in him? I'm going to give you three things really quickly before I sit down. Here's one thing that Christ has given you. He has given you authentic testimony. Authentic testimony. Verse 29. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, what's interesting here is this. It's that Jesus is saying that you have all that you need to believe in Christ without seeing him. You see, many people have taken this verse and claimed that Christianity is some kind of blind faith. That you have to just close your eyes and just really hope that it is true. And that's not the case. He has left us with convincing proofs. And one of those things is the writings and the lives of the apostles. You may be thinking, how can the writings of the apostles be reliable? See, here today, I don't have a credible, an incredible time to go into detail. We will be here forever. But I want to give you one of the most convincing proof for me that the testimony in the scriptures laid out by the apostles is credible and it is true. Listen to me. We can trust the disciples' testimony in the New Testament because they had no incentive whatsoever to lie about it. None. I think about all the times I have lied, I lied about things in my life. I remember lying as a kid to my parents or, or lying to teachers growing up. Man, I really was a little liar growing up. But all the reasons why I lied is because I thought that the lie would make my situation better. Right? But listen to me. What would the apostles get from going around telling people that Jesus is risen? Would they get power, fame, money? Actually, no, they got the complete opposite. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul's writing, and he says the apostles were people that had experienced hunger, thirst, homelessness, persecution, slander. He says they had become the, the, the slum of the world, the refuse of all things, that they were persecuted. And church history as he tells us that all of the apostles minus one met their end because they, they proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. They were tortured and martyred. So, so, so think about this scenario. Think about the disciples huddling together and them saying, hey, listen, fellas, we know that Jesus is dead. We, we know he's dead. But listen, let's go around telling people that he's alive. Let, 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 let's, just go, let's just go do that. We'll teach people that the kingdom of God is not of this world. We'll, 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 we'll give our money away. And when people try to kill us, we won't fight back. And since we're saying that Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar, we'll be martyred and each of us will experience painful and humiliating deaths. And everyone in the room says, oh man, that's great, sign me up. 
Like, here's the thing. I'm telling you guys this today. It doesn't sound right at all. The only reason that these disciples would have willfully done this is if it were true. Here's a humorous quote by Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was a guy that caught up, got caught up in the Watergate scandal, and uh, he became a Christian during his time in prison and spent his life uh, sharing the gospel with many people. He said this about Watergate. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 disciples could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Here's a more morbid line by Blaise Pascal, that French mathematician and philosopher. He said this line. He said, I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut. You see, these disciples were willing to lay it down all on a line for the message that they proclaimed. And that is one of the many reasons why we can trust their word. But that's not the only thing that Christ has given us. He hasn't just given us authentic testimony for the apostles. Here's something else that he's given us, and this is something that's even more, even more personal. He's given us his patience. His patience. Look at this. Look, Jesus came to Thomas, and he didn't say, Thomas, you're an idiot for doubting. Jesus didn't wait for Thomas to be rock solid in his faith in order to reveal himself to Thomas. No, no, no. Jesus drew near to Thomas even when Thomas was in the middle of his doubt. Jesus didn't yell at Thomas. Jesus didn't dismiss Thomas. He was patient with him even in his doubt and fear. And I'm going to tell you guys today, I praise God that he is a God that is patient with us even when we doubt. In the church, I mean, I've been... We've been, so we've been so fearful to reveal our doubts to each other because we think that doubt is the opposite of faith and the same as unbelief. And that's simply not true. I also pray that here at Grace Hill that, that, that you will be a place in which that you, you are a place in which you love the doubter, that you love the skeptic. You see, there's a great verse for this in Jude 22. It's a simple verse. It says, have mercy on those who doubt. See, see why, why is that verse there? Because the same Christ that was patient with you, even in your doubts and fears, it's the same God that was there with Thomas that was patient with his doubts and fears. Listen, if you are doubting right now, the fact that you are here right now and hearing this message is proof God is patient with you. Listen to me. He's given you an opportunity even today to surrender to him in faith. He's giving you an opportunity today to hear about the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he created you. And although you've sinned against God and turned your back um, away from him, he has never stopped pursuing you. We serve a God in heaven who has sent his son, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to be the mediator between us and him. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life, the life that you couldn't live. He died a death on the cross, the death that you deserve, so that when you simply cry out, even within your doubts that Jesus is Lord, 
When you simply come to God and you offer him your sin and you say, God, will you please forgive me of this? Guess what? God will forgive you. He'll place you into his family. He will give you his righteousness and you will be saved. But let me say something to you today. I know there's many people here who might be doubting a variety of things about Christian faith. Doubt is tough. It's a hard place to be. But let me tell you this today. You do not have to stay there. You do not have to stay there. Guys, we live in a world in which doubt almost seems like a virtue. It seems more intellectual to be skeptical about everything, to be unsure, be unsure. everything seems like it'd be a virtue. To be certain of anything seems to be like a vice. We treat those people as narrow-minded. But listen to me, you were never meant to live in doubt. I've said this before, doubt is like a residence inn. It's okay to stay there for a little bit, but you're never meant to make that your permanent residence. It's okay to have questions. I'm not telling you to stop, simply just stop doubting. My question for you today is this. Will you be humble as you doubt? A prideful person will say, we'll look at the truth of Christianity. We'll, we'll look at the facts of the resurrection. We'll look at the scriptures and just dismiss it and say none of this can be true. But listen, a humble Dido says, I don't understand this, but I'm open and I'm willing to learn. Which one will you be? Here's the thing. Some of you may be here today and a barrier for you to go all the way with your faith are your intellectual doubts. You can't get past some of the stuff. Look, I want to invite you to keep exploring and keep seeking, keep coming back here to Grace Hill. Because listen to me, God is patient and those who seek him with an honest heart will undoubtedly Follow him. Don't give up. Keep coming back. Some of you are Christians even today, and right now you are doubting the character and nature of God, that he is good to you, that he is kind, that he is loving, because you've experienced heartache and suffering in this life. In those moments, God is patient with you. He desires to reveal himself to you, even through the testimony of these apostles. Guys, this has helped me when I'm tempted to doubt God. Uh, to even make it uh, personal for you, um, I've had a lot of hard seasons over the last couple of years. Um, I'm going to share an analogy with my dad a little bit later on, man, but uh, my dad suddenly passed away a couple of years ago. It was sudden. Uh, one of my kids, Roman, I showed you him, my, my, youngest, my, my youngest child, has a series of special needs. It's doubtful that, you know, he will ever actually even walk. And even now, while I'm in the middle of this, I can honestly say, even within my doubts, it's brought those to the surface. But God has consistently revealed to me that he is good. But I can't lie to you. There's been times in my life when I thought, man, God, why me? Why this? Why now? And like Christ revealing himself to Thomas, he has shown me his character specifically through his word. See, even with my son Roman, the reason why we named my son Roman was because he was in the womb. Uh, the doctors told us, man, that something is seriously wrong with him. Man, they thought a, a, a whole bunch of different stuff. They thought possibly trisomy 13 or spina bifida. And they, I remember them coming to us even while my wife was pregnant and them looking at us saying, hey, listen, most of the people who have kind of the outlook that Roman has, they choose to terminate uh, the, present, uh, the, 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 the pregnancy. And I remember we decided on the name of Roman because we read Romans eleven thirty three, and it says this. 
Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his past beyond tracing out. Remember, in those moments of suffering, those moments of doubt, God was saying to me, listen, I'm an all-wise God. That could mean this, Eric, that I have good reasons to allow you to go through pain and suffering that you can't understand right now. My wisdom is infinite. Your wisdom is finite. It seems like God was looking at me saying, listen, do you have the humility to trust me even when you don't understand? Grace Hill, hear me today. If you only serve a God that you have to completely understand before you completely trust, that's not God, that's you. An infinitely wise God, what that means is this, is that he's going to be doing some things sometimes that you can't quite figure out. And in those moments, you have to remember that God has given you enough to believe in him right now. Trust him. God has been patient with my doubts. He's dealt kindly with me, and he has dealt kindly with you. He has promised the same for you, even in your doubt and fear. But even as I close tonight, I'm going to give you my last point. Not only has he given us authentic testimony, not only has Christ given us his patience, Christ has also given us his wounds, his wounds. See, what's interesting is that when Jesus appeared to Thomas, Jesus offered his wounds to Thomas. I don't know if you've ever considered this or if you ever thought this, but why would the risen body of Jesus Christ include wounds? You, you ever thought about that? I just thought about that recently. If Christ can rise from the dead, why, won't the, why weren't the wounds completely healed up? Well, here's the thing. I, I think it's this. His wounds should always be a reminder of the infinite loyal love that he has for us. Because think about this. There are going to be seasons of your life where you are going to be going through it. You're going to be tempted to disbelieve in God's love. You're going to be tempted to believe that God doesn't love you. And these wounds would say otherwise. See, his wounds remind us that while your family may get up and leave you, Christ never will. Listen to me, his wounds show us that while you may not understand everything that's going on in the world, you may not understand everything that God is doing, guess what? His wounds remind us that you can trust him. His wounds show us that there is no one who loves the world, no one who loves justice, no one who loves grace more than God does in Christ. So interesting, when Thomas saw the wounds of Jesus, he did not say, the Lord, the God. He actually said, my Lord, my God, because he immediately recognized that the wounds that Jesus Jesus went through, the wounds were for him. And Thomas was so transformed by that. Listen, that Thomas went from doubting to, as church history tells us, he went on to take his own wounds for Jesus. Church history tells us that Thomas went on to India where he would eventually be martyred for faith in Jesus Christ. Thomas went from doubting to belief because he focused on the wounds of Jesus. Man, guys, I, I've shared this story uh, many times at NBC all the time. I'm gonna share it here with uh, Grace Hill. So my father, when he passed away a couple of years ago, uh, my father, um, he spent his whole life doing what he loved. Uh, he was a brick mason. I don't know if you've ever done brick work, but brick work, it has to be some of the hardest work known to mankind. My dad used to bring me out with him over the summers, like to lay bricks with him. 
And I legit think he told me to do that because he wanted me to go get a desk job because that's what he pushed me to. Uh, because, man, it was hard. It was hot. You had to climb up on roofs, man. The, the, the sun was scorching. You had to deal with these, uh, deal with like carry around bricks and mortar. And since my dad had done that for uh, a lot of years, um, he had messed up his hands. Uh, his hands were mangled. I remember there was a period when I was living with my father and um, I um, really was uh, being a, a brat about something. I even forgot what I wanted, man. I was coming to my father pretty much every day saying, Dad, will you give me this? Dad, I really want this. Will you buy this for me? Now, I remember instead of arguing with me, I remember my dad got down on his knees and he showed me his hands. His hands were beat up. They were messed up. They were jacked up because of all the suffering and uh, pain that he had gone through just by laying bricks. Like, my, my dad got to the point where it was hard for him even to get fingerprints anymore just because all the mortar had messed up his hands. So in that moment, instead of yelling at me, he got down on his knees. And he showed me his hands. And he says, listen, man, look at my hands. He says, every single day I get up and I go to work and I work my hands to the bone for you. Every day I get up, look at my hands. Every, every day I get up, I do all that I do. I suffer because I try to provide for you. Don't ever doubt that I have your good in mind. You see, at that moment, my dad was trying to say this. The wounds in his hands gave me the assurance that I could trust him. Think about the wounds of Jesus Christ. His wounds give you the assurance that you can trust him. See, doubts are real. My mind, our, our minds don't grasp everything. There are some things we'll never understand. The wounds of Jesus Christ gave us, give us the assurance that we can trust him. When my dad showed me his wounds, guess what? I never questioned him again. I may have gone through hard times, maybe things that God doesn't give me, that, I, that there may have been things that my dad didn't give me that I, that, that I wanted or whatever, but I never doubted his love for me. Now, I never doubted, really, that he meant good for me. And listen, when you, when you reflect on the wounds of Jesus Christ, you can think the same exact thing. You can trust him. He's not afraid of your doubts. God is not sitting in heaven right now, wringing his hands like he doesn't have the answer to any question that you might have. Ask him your questions. Bring him your doubts. But the question I want you to think about is this. Do you have the humility to believe and to surrender to his, to, to, his, to his revelation. Do you have the humility to do that? To eventually just say, I have these doubts, I have these things that I want, I have these questions that I have, but listen, you've given me enough to believe in you. Hear me, he's given you his authentic testimony. He's given you his patience. He's given you his wounds. Stop doubting and believe. Let me take a moment to pray for us today. I'm gonna go ahead and invite the, van, the band to come back up as well. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we love you. Father, we thank you that ultimately we love you because you first loved us. We thank you that even while we were yet sinners, as Romans 5 says, that you came and you died for us. And Father, we understand that even as we live this Christian life, even after we trust and believe in you, that doesn't always entail that life is going to be a cakewalk. 
New Testament overwhelmingly shows us otherwise. You said in John 10, in this world that we will have trouble, but take heart that Christ has overcome the world. Now, there are many people in the sound of my voice who may be dealing with doubts as a result of things they can't understand, whether intellectually or personally. Father, I pray, God, that your word from John 20 will help them understand that you have given them all that they need to stop doubting and believe. May they trust you in faith. May they walk forward in confidence. Pray for those here who may not even know you, who are saying, I just have so many doubts, and, and this is even blocking me from entering into the door of faith. Father, I pray that you will reveal yourself to them powerfully even today, that you are real, that you are true, that the purpose of their lives is to give you glory, and you provided a way to do that through the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. You have given us forgiveness for all that we've ever done. And for many of us in this room right now, man, so many things we've done that nobody knows about, and we're saying, man, like, if anyone knew, knew this, God, they, they, they would reject me, but we praise you that you know everything about us, and yet you never reject us. Your blood covers that. So, Father, we love you. Help us to stop doubting. Help us to believe. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.